to the Forking Wellness podcast. You are here with Sophie, registered nutritionist. And Barry, registered dietitian. And today's episode is going to be all about binge eating disorder, which has been a highly requested podcast episode um, from you all. And we are thrilled to be talking about it. Yeah, we put a question box up on both our Instagram pages and got quite a lot of questions. So we'll cover as much as we possibly can um, with the aim of kind of answering questions throughout. And then if we have anything we haven't touched on at the end, we can go through those questions. And yeah. Yeah. So I think actually one of the reasons that we've probably got so many questions is because I still think when people hear the word eating disorder, they think of someone who looks quite thin and unwell Mm -hmm. like you you automatically your mind associates you know you think underweight yeah or anorexia and bulimia and kind of binge eating kind of and the other eating disorders there's several kind of get put to the other side because you don't always know what someone with binge eating disorder looks like yeah and I think that's why some people who aren't necessarily underweight suffering with an eating disorder might be more embarrassed to talk about it because they feel like I don't know they might feel oh I don't look like I have an eating disorder like how embarrassing kind of thing that I need to talk about it or ask for help when I'm not even underweight exactly um and yeah I just think there's a lot of questions and confusion about it because it's not often spoken about as well even though it's the most common eating disorder yeah yeah exactly and there's not a lot of I mean, I feel like we're getting better now with like access to treatment options and talking about, you know, things like anorexia and bulimia. But again, with binge eating disorder, it's kind of not swept under the carpet, but it's not as spoken about as other eating disorders. Totally. And that's probably because it wasn't really recognized as an eating disorder until 2013. So, you know, that's fairly new Mm -hmm. when you think of, you know, the research was talking about things like anorexia since, you know, before the 90s. That that was even something that was quoted in the research, I think, way back in, I could be wrong, but like 70s, 60s, like, and, you know, only seven years ago was binge eating disorder actually recognized. So, Mm -hmm there's a real big gap in the research and just the conversation due to that time lapse. Um, But it is the most common eating disorder and it definitely affects um, both men and women and people of all age. Um, And yeah, I think now more than ever, people understand the severity of it. Yeah. And I think it's kind of difficult to get a diagnosis as well because you know, we have kind of like guidelines as to what you can expect if you think you might be suffering, you know, signs and symptoms. But again, it's like your version of a binge might be different to my version of a binge. Totally. It's such, such, what's the word? Um, What's, uh, it's not objective, subjective. It's the most objective term in the world where, Mm -hmm. and now the word binge has become so like used like, oh, I binge watch Netflix. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's just taking the true meaning out of it. Um, where a clinical binge is actually something that you know we can actually define but because it's such a term that's just used in lay conversations um, we lose that actual clinical meaning yeah it's so interesting as well because Ash was like oh what's this week's podcast about and I was like oh we're talking about binge eating disorder and he was like what is a binge and we were kind of going back and forth as to what the definition was 
and every Friday Ash normally gets a pizza and eats a bag of cookies like that's just his Friday ritual it's what he enjoys to do and he was like well technically I'm a binge eater then if I binge you know once a week but I said it's more about the mentality or I think it's more about the mentality behind the behavior as opposed to the actual consumption of food yeah I don't think that's a binge um I mean, we can kind of go into it, but it doesn't sound like he is embarrassed about it. Yeah, no. I mean, he sits next to me, does it, and he gets all excited because it's Friday and he's got he goes out to get his pizza and cookies. Yeah, that doesn't sound like there's a lot of guilt. No, not not at all. Lost. And you know, he doesn't do it really quickly, or you know, he's not sat there feeling ashamed afterwards. Yeah, exactly. But that is just such a good example of how like the term binge mm-hmm. so hard to quantify yeah um, definitely and, and for someone else that pizza and cookies would be a binge yeah like everyone is so different um and yeah so I think that I guess we can just jump right into kind of like the classical or clinical definition of a binge um just to have it a bit more formal um yeah. But so according to the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic um, Statistical Manual, uh, we've quoted on here before, but it's kind of like um, how we categorize or recognize um, psychiatric conditions. Um, And I think that's really important just to reiterate that eating disorders, binge eating disorder included, is a mental health disorder. I was just about to say that. Yeah, it's such an important point. Yeah. And I talk about this a lot with work um, in the sense that Yes, it is food related and nutri- as nutritionists and dietitians, we kind of feel like we have um, the ability to help because it's a food focused thing. But in reality, um, those lines are super blurry and it is a mental health disorder. We as nutrition professionals would never feel comfortable or should never feel comfortable kind of treating someone with, you know, schizophrenia. So why do we kind of feel like we can have such an impact with people who have eating disorders and it's because those lines are so blurred, but it's so, so, so important that we, we do stick to our kind of ethical and just like our scope of practice and just know when it's beyond our scope, we have to refer outwards. Um, I think it's important to mention as well. I mean, I personally, I know you don't work so much with one-to-one clients anymore, but I, the clients that I work with who you know, do have eating disorders or history of eating disorders even will usually be working alongside a, you know, psychologist or psychiatrist or some sort of therapist um, to deal with, you know, the body image kind of side of things. Yeah, exactly. Because I think food is often used as like the mechanism, but it's not actually always the Mm -hmm. root of the issue. So um, it's really important that, you know, if you if you are someone who suffers or you work with people who are in this kind of category, really, really important to make sure you include that multidisciplinary team into the conversation and that nutrition is just one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, for sure. Um, So symptoms of binge eating disorder, shall we run through? Yeah. Okay. So basically it is defined as eating a large kind of, amount of food in a short period of time and often what feels like in an out of control way so the symptoms are eating quite quickly um, eating until you're uncomfortably full eating when you're not necessarily hungry usually it's done alone or in secret um, and that's followed by feelings of guilt feeling ashamed or disgusted 
Yeah, and I think it's important to note that that like that distress and that like marked distress regarding the binge is super prevalent. Um, and then it also is not associated with any compensatory mechanism. So purging, um, fasting, excessive exercise, um, those would all be contraindicated against uh, binge eating disorder. But then the interesting defining factor to me, and this is something that I actually have quite an issue with when it comes to the diagnostic criteria, is that this needs to happen at least once a week for three months. Mm-hmm. Because if someone was binging, let's say like some, they were going through something and their coping mechanism was, you know, binging and or maybe they they were just experiencing these out of control binges maybe twice a week for two months. It's the three month thing that qualifies mm-hmm. them. And then are they not allowed to get help? And then for me, that's like, it's really annoying because it's all about like, we should be in a state of preventative med- medicine. So like mm-hmm. how we intervene now to prevent you from getting to that three month, that six month. Yeah, exactly. Disorders, the longer that they go on the more difficult it is to help someone in that position. But yeah. some, but I think my big gripe with the eating disorder, you know, definitions are that we always have to wait for this three-month period, but that's way too long in my mind. Like, we should be able to get services for people before those three months. Yeah, and we, know, we do know from the research that the sooner we intervene, the sooner we help, you know, the sooner we ask for help, the better the prognosis you know the research is there to tell us that and I'm not saying that you can't recover if you leave it longer but it, of course that's going to make it more challenging because you know these habitual behaviors and you know the men- these kind of negative mentalities around food they're going to be more ingrained so it's going to take you longer to kind of um, address or overcome those behaviors. Exactly. And especially something like this where there's so much shame and there's so much guilt associated with it that that one month difference is a lot mm-hmm. it's a big impact on your mental health isn't it to experience an extra month of shame and guilt exactly and I mean even yeah even just a few weeks <laughs> like if you if you think if if this were to be happening every single day where you're trying to kind of fight you know those behaviors and you're constantly feeling guilty or ashamed or frustrated or anxious then yeah, every day is a struggle. And just a few weeks of that is going to hugely impact your mental health. Yeah, definitely. So there are um, a few things that I think are interesting and just, um, so we, we always want to say like, oh, what's the cause of this? And with eating disorders, it's it's so multifactorial. It's not one yeah. causes um, another. And it's definitely a mix of environment plus genetics, but we mm-hmm. do know there is kind of um, when it comes to eating disorders, there is a familial, you know, factor into it, but it's it's mainly caused by the environment that you're in. So like your culture, your family upbringing, you know, the things that you're exposed to on a day to day basis, whether that's the media or friends or diet culture, essentially. Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of um, elements of control as well. Um, I think eating disorders are that kind of mechanism that we use to feel like we're more in control of one aspect of our life because maybe other aspects seem more out of control but it's kind of ironic I guess because you you want to you use your eating disorder to feel like you're in control and actually it's pretty out of control at the same time 
Exactly. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I'll definitely get a bit personal on this, but I definitely think that, you know, looking back on it in my teens, I definitely struggled with, I, I, I actually feel quite confident in saying that I had binge eating disorder. Like it was, it was quite bad. And I did see a therapist um, for it at the time, but I'd never had like a formal diagnosis or anything, but I remember feeling, and you know, my mom was on this podcast previously, so, um, but her experience with anorexia and restriction, I always felt like a failure because I couldn't restrict well, and then I'd mm-hmm. end up binging, and then I felt like an absolute failure because, and then I had all this guilt and shame associated with it, and then it was definitely that kind of like binge restrict cycle, so I would like um, have a binge, feel super, super, super guilty, ashamed about it. And then feel like the next day I needed to be super, and I'm using air quotes, like good and which really just like restrictive. But then I would always, because I was in such a state of deprivation, I would always end up binging. But I always felt like a failure because I can never be as in control as I wanted to be. So I feel like also there's like this weird link of like, yes, you do it is a sense of control because maybe some other aspects of my life were out of control. But you want to have this control, but you fail at it. And it just ends up adding so much more guilt and shame to the whole cycle. And it's a terrible, terrible, you know, thing to experience. Um, But yeah, even when you're trying to assert so much control, it ends up going the other way. But I do think that that is just um, also because you can't control everything and it's not meant to be controlled so tightly. And that's why your body kind of in your mind rebels against it. Yeah, I think, as well um you know I used to suffer you know I was caught in that kind of binge restrict cycle and all the time I'd be like what and I remember just sitting there after a binge and being like okay tomorrow I won't do it like I'm never going to do this again and then it would happen the next day and I was I literally used to be like why can't you control yourself like why do you have to constantly make yourself feel this unfair? like you have you have no willpower at all and it was because I'd literally starved myself for the entire day and that was nothing to do with my willpower and it was my body being like we can't cope anymore like you need to eat something and kind of like those biological processes would take over yeah and again I'd be feeling out of control yeah definitely but yeah, so I think that there's so many things that go into binging. I actually never think that my binging was, um, came, it wasn't initially a place of restriction. It was like a stress coping mechanism. Um, so I remember like when I was in high school, I um, played soccer both for like the school team and then I was also on a club team and then I had like after school curriculars as well. And then I was in a bunch of honors and AP classes and I remember not getting home from my extracurriculars and sports until like seven And then I had like four to five hours of homework. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling so stressed, like crying to my parents. There's not enough hours in a day because I was like an absolute overachiever. Like it was so stupid when I looked. I was such a perfectionist. Like, yeah, Yeah. I remember just going crazy if like I didn't get the highest grade in my class. Like what a loser. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just cared way too much. And I think it I think it's also kind of like um, a downfall of the American college kind of um cycle where you know it's so expensive you want to get into the best college with the best scholarships you have to be the mm. best student. and yeah it, it was at uni that I was feeling like this it wasn't yeah. even like in my teens like I feel like I should have been a grown-up and like, yeah yeah it's just the pressure from the outside so I yeah. I like, turned to like food is almost like it keeps like my hands and my mind busy and it was just like such a distraction for me um and then later when I started to feel guilty about it then that's was like okay I should be 
you know, super, super, super on plan tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember being like, well, if everyone else can do it and my mom can do it, why can't I do it? But it didn't actually yeah. come out of restriction. Restriction came after. And it was really just like a stress coping mechanism. That's so funny. I think mine was the complete opposite. My binging was a result of my restriction. <laughs> exactly so again it just it presents so differently in so many exactly places. and it is essentially a circle like you yeah know, you binge you restrict you binge you restrict but yeah I it, mine was definitely a result of you know desperately trying to lose weight and just you know effect, effectively starving myself so I, it, that led to my binges yeah and again like a binge looks so different on everyone like one person's binge could be another person's snack but like yeah well I remember I watched a tv program looking at people with eating disorders this was ages and ages ago like I was maybe 18 and there was this case study of a woman who would restrict and then she'd binge in the evening but she would only binge on fruit and I used to look at that and be like okay well that's what I should do then because surely you know you can binge on fruit and not put on that much weight that that's all she had in the house she just wouldn't buy anything like it's just so weird how different behaviors present in different people and how when you are suffering with any kind of eating disorder you compare your eating disorder to other people's eating disorders yeah definitely and I I even know you know in the past I worked with people who pre-planned their binges because yes that's super common when you're actually binging I think you have this like outer body experience and you're not sure about you know all the worries and the troubles and it is really this kind of like um this moment in which you you let go of everything and I think in the moment it can feel sometimes really good in the Mm -hmm. sense that like you're using well you're using it you're you're doing it because of something right so like whether you're escaping a feeling of you're searching for something or you're distracting yourself or you know there's always kind of like that underlying issue um but I do remember working with some people that, you know, their partner would go out of the house or they know they were out of the house that night and they would kind of buy all the food that they want and eat it in secret and hide the wrappers. And because it kind of gave them that eu- euphoric experience. But then the guilt and the shame afterwards would be so crippling. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it looks so different in everyone. Sometimes it could be sparked by the most, you know, thing that you would never think about would be a trigger for you and then sometimes it is kind of that pre-planned thing yeah definitely so yeah so I yeah and just reading a bit more about kind of what that clinical binge is it usually happens in like a two hour period and then yeah it's that lack of control so like I said that outer body experience like you can't even stop if you wanted to you just have to like ride it out yeah so it's quite distressing. Well, I think because there is so much kind of shame and guilt attached to the behaviour, it is so difficult to ask for help or admit to someone that this is what's going on behind closed doors. Yeah, which is crazy because it's so much more prevalent. So I think the the rates of binge eating disorder are 3% of the population where I believe anorexia is like 0.4. Mm. So when you think about it, like there is a huge percent of the population who are experiencing this, but they don't feel like they're, I don't know, maybe they just don't feel because they look a certain way that they can get the help or ask for the help because on the outside they might not look ill. 
do you know what scares me as well is that I have heard stories about people going to their GP and this is absolutely nothing against GPs you know every GP is individual and this isn't to group them together and say that they're not good enough or anything like that but I have heard stories of you know people go to their GP asking for help saying you know that they're gaining weight and they can't stop eating and the GP will say okay well here's a meal plan like just you know eat three meals a day and you know don't eat as much and that kind of scares me because it, it's taken them so much to ask for help or go to that first point of call and they maybe haven't felt understood or supported and then that's just a huge setback and it kind of prevents them from asking for more help. Yeah and the worst thing I think is like when you ask for help and then they just give you another prescription diet and it's like yeah. well what happens if I don't follow that? Am I true? Well that's what I mean yeah. So yeah I think and so how would, if someone like came to you with binge eating disorder, like as a non-diet nutritionist, what would kind of be the, you know, therapeutic approach that you would, you would take? Well, I'd hope and kind of encourage that they work with a psychologist. Um, I think that's so important because again, like we said at the beginning, it's one thing for me to try and kind of improve their relationship with food But if there's something bigger going on and it could, you know, whether that be something going on in their life that's personal, you know, maybe they're going through a breakup or anything like that, or they just have this terrible relationship with their body and, you know, massive body image issues that needs to be addressed. You know, I'm a nutritionist. I can't do everything for them. There's only so much I can cover in our our hour long sessions. So from the psychological point of view, that needs to be dealt with with another therapist yeah and that's something I would kind of request from them um in terms of my work with them um with the kind of non-diet approach I it being that the intuitive eating is made up of 10 principles they're not necessarily always done in order yeah. So I would kind of I have a questionnaire, like a standard questionnaire that's very detailed, asking about history and kind of current relationship with food, current food behaviours. Um, and we would kind of assess which ones we should start with, what things, you know, and it's for me as well. It's all about small steps, like really small right. steps. And that I always say to the client, you might feel like we're not doing enough at the moment. But when we look back and say a month, two months, three months time, you'll see how far you've come. But there is literally no point of trying to change your behaviours overnight because it's unrealistic. Yeah. And then that kind of you won't do it because it's unrealistic. And then you or again, like feeling that guilt. Oh, why can't I do it? Like Mm -hmm. it sends you deeper and deeper into the cycle. But yeah, I think I think it's so hard for people because I think when they come and they want to, you know, break free of the binging their automatic thing is that like that was their last binge but it probably won't be like through working through it like Mm -hmm. through improving your relationship with food and through improving your relationship with your body you're still going to experience maybe the odd binge but it's like okay let's see if we can decrease the frequency or exactly any of these things or the habits that we're trying to form or working through these, you know, limiting beliefs or distorted thoughts, can those help us go down a path of gradually decreasing it? But I think, yeah, I do think that people, even when they get help, they're like, God, that was the last binge and now I'm getting help, but mm-hmm. it's not been overnight. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time 
people use food or you know binging as a coping mechanism and what I like to do as well is kind of help them compile um like this toolkit Mm -hmm. of things that they can use say if it's like I don't know eight o'clock at night and that's their usual time slot for a binge where you know they might have had a stressful day so you know their binge is what they turn to I'll say okay let's look at this list of things that we know makes us feel good so things like it could be as simple as having a bath or listening to a podcast going for a walk let's look at that list and decide if one of those things could help you feel better in this moment if it's still food that's absolutely fine we'll just accept that but let's give our body the option of using something else to make us feel comforted and hopefully using something that's not going to make you feel guilty after you've done it yeah I love that and I remember when I was in uni, we learned because I took the psych class um, about like the power of distractions and things like that. And I actually mm-hmm. said um, tools or coping mechanisms, um, et cetera, that are that require cognitive demand um, are better for us at kind of like distracting from those initial thoughts and other things. So um, for me, I remember like, OK, yeah, I could, you know, go take a walk but actually those things might still be on my mind. I might still be thinking about it and stuff. Whereas if I actually did something that required like cognitive thinking, like a Sudoku puzzle, it can often Mm -hmm. be a form of, you know, not necessarily a distraction because I think you still need to process those thoughts, but it can be like a nice coping strategy. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes my clients will identify the fact that it's habit they just automatically think, you know, they might live on their own and every evening they feel lonely, you know, they've done their day and food is what they turn to. And I'm not saying that every person, you know, who suffers with binge eating is, oh, it's just habit. It's not as simple as that. But sometimes it's actually motivating yourself to try and switch up your routine a little bit and not put yourself in a position that you know is going to result in an unhealthy behaviour. Yeah, exactly. So when you think about habits, there's always a trigger. There is kind of that um, the action or the habit. And then you either have like that reward or consequence. So if like your trigger is like 8 p.m. on your own and then your habit is, you know, going to see what food you have in the cupboard, like what other habit can you replace Mm -hmm. instead? Um, So sometimes that might be you need to find a new trigger for that habit or, you know, sometimes, you know, you need to just like change the way in which you walk to the cabinet. Like, can you pass something else on the way that kind of, you know, sparks a different routine? Um, But yeah, the power of habits and changing habits is something that I love to talk about. It's something I talk about in work all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've recommended it a thousand times on this podcast, but please go read um, Atomic Habits by James Clare because it's a great revolutionary book and when it comes to kind of breaking habits or building new habits the psychology behind it um it's fascinating yeah I think what's also interesting to bring up is um again Ash and I were talking before we recorded this episode and he said that he has a friend who works in the office next to him and he says that he can't buy biscuits because he'll eat the whole pack and Ash was like well just don't buy the biscuits then and I'm like but yeah you know I when I work with clients who don't necessarily trust themselves around certain foods say like I don't know a box of chocolates a bag of crisps whatever it is you want to be able to trust yourself in front of around that food yeah 
Agreed. which is why they kind of challenge themselves and say, okay, I want the chocolate, so I'm going to buy the, I don't know, 100 gram bar of chocolate and I'll just have half. And then they eat the whole thing and then they feel guilty. And it's actually breaking down those behaviours and, you know, the way you look at the food and why you're doing that so that you can have the big bar of chocolate in your cupboard. And if you want a few pieces, you have a few pieces and you can leave the rest and save it for whenever you feel like it again. But people have in their mind, oh, I can't I can't just stop at one piece. Yeah. You know, I have to have the whole thing. Or I think it's because people, again, they just they put those unconscious rules around mm-hmm. food so oh I can only have a little bit because if I have any more than the than the little portion that I plan to have that means I'm doing something bad um but if you create any rule they're just meant to be broken right well exactly because then that kind of triggers well I'm not supposed to be having this because I know it's going to make me gain weight so I'll just eat the whole thing now get it out the way I won't ever have this chocolate again exactly. and then you're back in that cycle because your body's like wait a minute we've just been told we're not allowed this so we've got to have it one more time yeah. where it's like I already broke the rule so I might as well exactly what's the point now and yeah. it's so funny you just reminded me like I bought a bar of um salted caramel dark chocolate you know um the green and the, black purple oh, one. Oh yeah it's my favorite and I bought it on my shop probably a week ago. And it's still, I just remembered, it's still in my fridge unopened. And I think maybe... Weirdo. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like reflecting back to my 16-year-old self. I don't think that I would ever be able to forget that oh I had yeah. chocolate in my house. Because that was something that, you know, I I'm could exactly have access where yeah. now I just re- realize, like, great, can't wait to have some after that. But it's because I don't place those restrictions on myself. Exactly. I don't even yeah. think about it. I'm exactly the same. And that's why I think we can both say, actually, we know how miserable it is to be, because it takes over your entire day. You're sat there, you know, you might be sat on the sofa and you know that you've got this great big bar of chocolate in the fridge. And you're like, should I have it? Shouldn't I have it? I know if I open it, I'm going to have the whole thing. Can I, no, you know, don't have it, don't have it. And that conversation will go on all night until you give yeah. in to the chocolate. Like it literally will. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I told you about this. I don't know if we spoke about it on the podcast or just like you and I chatted about it, but I would have like my red solo cup. Of yeah. Oh, fridge. I know all about the cup. <laughs> picture like an American frat party and just that red cup we used to have them in the house and I would just fill it up with like um dark chocolate chips or no I don't even think they were dark chocolate they were like baking chocolate chips like the ones that Mm -hmm. like Like plain chocolate yeah those um there were these like whole grain pretzel nuggets from Trader Joe's back in the day that were bomb and then um craisins so like dried cranberries I bloody love craisins (laughs) I like can't eat them anymore I think I've scarred from this experience (laughs) pretzels are still my favorite thing to this day um but I would like mix it mix it up in this concoction in this like cup and I'd be like okay I'm allowed one cup and then I finished the cup and what would I do to myself like obviously I'd go back for a second and third because yeah it's just that rule that you place on yourself um but again like the root of it was just a distraction from my homework because I felt so like head under water like mm-hmm. I couldn't get it done it was too stressful it was too anxiety ridden and it was just I was just distracting myself from that um and then out of that came the need to restrict because I was like crap I'm you know binging essentially too often that my weight is changing mm-hmm. it never first came out of my weight it came out of stress and then the weight came later see this is the thing there's so many different dimensions to it 
you know like the physical and mental side of things because if we're engaging in these kind of unhealthy behaviors that are affecting us mentally they could also be affecting us physically and then you've got something else to worry about and it's this huge great big like circle of just frustration and unhappiness yeah I I mean it really did it I remember I used to get these terrible terrible chest pains um, and I remember one time I really, really didn't want to go to my SAT tutor because I didn't do the homework. So, like, we used to have to, you know, um, <laughs> memorize all these vocabulary words and stuff for the SATs. And I remember he would always quiz me on them from the week before and I didn't do it. And I was so anxious that I was just, like, turning to food. And then when it was time to go to my SAT tutor, I had these horrible chest pains. And looking back, it was probably, like, a maybe a panic attack or just like something but it was anxiety anxiety but I actually had I think also just like terrible gas pains from just Mm -hmm. consuming so much food in such a short amount of time oh my god trapped wind is the worst pain (laughs) lots of air that I must have inhaled yeah all of that it was like I was like no I gotta go to the hospital and my mom actually did drive me to the doctor I remember uh because I just felt awful but yeah it's it is psychological but you do get that physical effect Mm -hmm. it's terrible it's absolutely terrible but you know then again like I I worked like I'm so honest like I went to go see my therapist um during those years um and worked through it um I didn't have a nutritionist back then or a dietitian it really wasn't like as popular but like yeah yeah you just talk through it you can come down to the core of it and you know it's not something to be ashamed of like I genuinely think everyone's experienced this at one point in their life um and let's just like stop making it a taboo situation just let's talk about it and help each other instead of you know living in secret with all that guilt and shame it's just such a horrible way to live it's not Mm -hmm. And you know what, like, I don't think I ever would have imagined talking about the fact that I used to binge on a podcast that people listen to. <laughs> Same. Same. Like, I never I, talk about it. Yeah, but no one's, like, behaviours around food are perfect or necessarily normal because we're all so different. And it is literally nothing to be ashamed about by you talking about your, you know, food habits at the moment and saying, yeah, I want to improve them because they're not making me happy. Mm-hmm. And there's actually quite a lot of self-help books um, for binge eating Uh disorder as well. Great with that, though. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's something I totally forgot about. Okay, well. (laughs) So um, in the NICE guidelines, so for anyone who's not in the UK, the NICE guidelines are kind of like the NHS, like um, Mm -hmm. first line uh, or just treatment plans. Um, And the first, I believe it's the first step in the NICE guideline is to try a binge eating self-help book. Um, And so I remember I did this whole research thing for work where I downloaded or ordered like the top 10 most popular binge eating disorder books off Amazon. One of them, let me just tell you, written by a doctor as well. So written by a PhD. So I can't even say that it was incredible. But it was called like Never Binge Again or something like that. And he called the urge to binge your inner pig. And it was all about quieting. <sighs> yep. It was all about quieting the squeals of your inner no. pig. Myself. As if these these individuals don't feel enough guilt or shame. But we're just going to use that term and make them feel even worse about themselves. And oh it's not God. 
quieting the urge to binge. It's actually getting to the root of why are you turning to food? What else is going on? Like what else mm. are you trying to distract yourself from or what element of your life are you trying to control that ultimately ends up to lack of control? But oh my God, I remember I read this and I was just thinking to myself, like I I'm not I can't relate to that point in my life anymore because it wasn't something I experienced since I was 16. But I can only imagine someone reading this book actually looking for answers and feeling absolute shit about themselves. Yeah, I was going to say that I can recommend a decent one (laughs) and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, But that is outrageous. If I had read that when I was suffering, um, when I was binging, I would have been, I would have wanted, you know, you just want to like curl up and sink in wow yeah that's how that even makes me feel a little bit like that now and I don't even suffer with binging anymore exactly so you know binging self-help books are fantastic a lot of them are like cbt focused they are great they are recommended as the first line um, of treatment according to the nice guidelines but please be a bit um diligent when choosing you know anyone can write a book or anyone can write a book yeah and I do I think doctors as well are quite um what's the word I'm looking for they discriminate in terms of weight yeah and that's and I'm not saying all doctors do again but we know that is a problem yep you get poor treatment outcomes and yeah and we know that you know you can walk into a doctor's surgery and say your foot's hurting and they'll say okay well if you lose a bit of weight exactly (laughs) They don't take you at, you know, there's that bias, that that weight bias and that stigma attached to it. That's the word I was looking for, weight bias. <laughs> and you get poor outcomes and it makes you ashamed and it makes you not want to go to the doctor in the first yeah. place. You have all these undiagnosed health conditions that can cause some real complications, but you're afraid to go to the doctor because you had those one or two experiences mm-hmm. where it really put you off because you felt you know, you weren't treated as an individual, you were treated as your body or your aesthetics. And that's, that's not what medicine is about. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, like when looking at the data for individuals who are overweight and obese, there's a lot of um, bias in them because of people who actually seek medical health and the type of treatment they've gotten in the past. But I guess that's like a whole separate um, conversation. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, doctors, and it's not anything against the medical professional, professional, Mm -hmm. like we love them, um, but some of them can be a bit more naive in their thinking. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so yeah, like I said, this book was written by a PhD in psychology. (laughs) Um, Very concerning. Yeah, very concerning. So yeah, link yours in the show notes. Maybe I'll link mine for which not to buy. (laughs) Definitely. Um, Should we get on to some of the questions? Yeah, definitely. I had a few that we definitely covered, but. Same. I'll just kind of pick out. Normally I write them up first, but I've just screenshotted them all. So. Yeah, I have my phone right now. Um, So the most common one, one was how to stop. Any advice on mindful eating would be appreciated as well. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that they brought that up because we actually haven't spoken about mindful eating. Yeah, I've got what I think is quite a helpful blog on sophieshealthykitchen.com all about mindful eating. Yeah. Oh, that reminded me. I actually have a mindful eating journal on my blog as well. Just a ah, there we go. So Years. 
Um, we will link to both of those then. Yeah, and I think mindful eating is definitely, definitely so important for this because so what mindful eating is, is just becoming um, a state of awareness and how much you're eating, what you're eating and why you're eating it. Um, and just tuning in with like your physical and mental self in that current situation. Um, mm-hmm. And it can just bring, you know, just bringing that focus to yourself in the now and just paying attention to what the food tastes like, smells like, feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, you can bring yourself out of that outer body experience into the present moment and kind of, you know, just be a bit more mindful of everything, tune into your hunger and your satiety a bit better and kind of unpick maybe the emotions that you had coming into that eating experience. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for mindful eating, actually. I think it can be really beneficial. And I know that not all the time do we have time to sit down and like really slowly eat our food. But I always say to my clients, maybe set aside some time two or three times a week, choose whatever meals are easiest for you to do it to um and just try it and some you might hate it you might not get on with it you might think it's stupid but if you're in a position where you are so unhappy you've got nothing to lose right yeah definitely um I completely agree I think mindful eating is such an important skill and it's one that we have lost over the years Um, yeah yeah so just going back to the the first part of the question how to stop binge eating I think I think it's it's really hard to do alone. And I think that if this is actually something that you are experiencing, like, please seek professional help through a nutritionist, dietitian, psychologist, psychotherapist. Um, I don't think you can put that burden on yourself to make yourself stop. Mm-hmm. I think there's it's such a complex and layered kind of experience that you might actually be making yourself feel worse by blaming yourself yeah Um, and I think it's so it's so helpful to have someone to talk to about these things definitely and I think like you said talk to someone even if that's your sister or your dad or your cousin or your friend you know talk to someone about the fact that you're suffering because a lot of the time when we keep this thing a secret it almost fuels the fire Mm -hmm. whereas if you tell your friend about it you're like okay someone knows I don't know I can't explain it I just feel like it takes the pressure off it's like a weight's been lifted and you all of a sudden don't you know you might feel like actually instead of binging tonight I can call that friend I spoke to yeah I completely agree it's not something that you're living with and you know secrets are so not nice to have like a secret oh my god secrets like you know when people tell like white lies or like any kind of lie I can't ever do that because I can't live with the anxiety of remembering what the lie was like I'm being so serious like it's so bad I just don't know why any like I guess sometimes we all tell like a little lie whatever but those people who kind of just like live their lives telling little lies to get out of things I'm like how do you do that I'd rather say to someone I don't want to see you tonight because I'm tired and I can't be bothered than make up a lie and have to remember what I've said a hundred percent um I completely agree but yeah I think I think there's nothing worse than keeping a personal secret. It can really, really eat at you. And the anxiety that it causes is terrible. Um, So, yeah, talk to someone. It can be anyone, like Sophie said, a friend, a family member and or a professional. And then I also think that maybe, you know, have a bit of look within, like, our experiences of why we binge were so different. Mine was coming out of a distraction, um, stress coping mechanism, and yours was coming out of a place of restriction. Um, so I think if you can kind of just look within, can you start to unpick why 
it's happening, um, that's really helpful. Um, and just take all rules off the table. I mean, like, I know we talk about that all the time, but, like, if a rule is too restrictive, it will be broken. And the fact that you're breaking it means that maybe you have something that you're trying to achieve that's unachievable. Yeah, totally. Um, do you want to go with a question now? We'll go back and forth. Yes. Oh, sorry, I just feel like my phone was on my microphone, so I feel like it made... Um, so your best tips for how to oh, we just read that. <laughs> for how to stop binge eating maybe from personal experience. I think I definitely shared um, that one. I remember Sudoku was like a huge thing that I did. So and journaling, God, journal, journal, journal. Like uh, I think we spoke about it on so many podcasts. Yeah. When talking about. So I think it's a way to just like word vomit like all your feelings and then like shut the book and it's as if you've like got it out of your head and put it somewhere that you can put it away exactly and I think also when you like stream of conscious right so many things come to the surface that you probably were unaware of Mm -hmm. um I just think it's a really cathartic important way to deal with stress and emotion because then also when you read it back like you can look at it with a more rational perspective as if it was someone else's I was gonna I was literally about to say that almost read it as if someone's else written that and like how would you respond to it Exactly. So I think that it's a great strategy, a great coping mechanism. Um, And if it comes from binge eating, I think also for me, I remember something that was really important was just, and everyone's different. And at that point in my life, this is what worked. But like, I was just making sure that I had three balanced meals a day, because sometimes I'd be like, no, I don't need lunch, because I had whatever last night. This gets me when people say, you know, I wasn't hungry, so I skipped lunch. And I'm like, but in you skipping that meal, does that then lead to a binge later on in the day? Exactly. So I think for me, it was normalizing my meal times um, Mm -hmm. was also really important. Yeah. Um, Okay. so there's quite a few I'm trying to pick. Um, How to curb my sweet tooth. I'm trying to gulp down water after my meals to fill myself up. Interesting. So So basically they my sweet tooth. Look, I mean, I was going to say like, (laughs) sugar is delicious like all of us like sugar yeah but are you I such a pedestal you feel guilty when you have it I know and like I said I do think a lot of the time it's kind of thinking oh I shouldn't have it so I want it and then that whole conversation back and forth like we said before um you know I so really interestingly actually I worked with a client a few weeks ago and you know she had this favorite chocolate and she was like I don't know I have to eat it all like I can't just stop at one piece and we've we've done a lot of work around it and she's actually come to the realization that she didn't enjoy the chocolate as much as she thought she did and I've heard people say this before there was um someone that I had a conversation with and she wasn't a client I just heard it on a podcast but she said that she was obsessed with cake and she really loved cake she couldn't stop eating it and when she actually worked on her relationship with food she realized she was like I don't even like cake that much but it's those thoughts that like Barry's like nodding along for anyone that's like, I, you can't I'm, glad, like I'm glad I was like am I explaining this well yeah, like but, yeah but um yeah it's like it's it's that's how powerful our thoughts are yeah I and I think one of the great ways to actually get to that point as well is through a mindful eating exercise mm-hmm. Um, so I remember I recorded a mindful eating exercise for work once, which it was all about like how to mindfully eat a, a square of chocolate because 
that's one of the things that most people don't eat mindfully. And I remember I did it live. And then so many people were like, and one of the end questions is, how do you feel? Are you more satisfied now? Are you, are you more likely to reach for that second square? Um, and so many people were like, oh my God, I don't, I, I feel so content. Like, I don't really want that square. You know, that chocolate was quite bitter. I didn't really enjoy it. And, you know, two nights ago I had the whole thing and now I'm eating and I don't really like the taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you're in that state, you kind of don't even taste the food that you're eating. Exactly. Yeah. It's mind numbing. And I think actually tuning in and being mindful of that experience and actually tasting the food, like you said, you might come to the realization that you didn't really like it in the first yeah. place. And you might just want, I don't know, a yogurt after dinner. Do you know what I mean? Like both are fine. You can you can have anything you want for dessert, but it's actually tuning into your body a bit more and asking it what's going to make you feel good now. Sometimes it takes eating that whole bar of chocolate five or six times. A hundred percent, yeah. So I wouldn't really distract yourself from that sweet tooth. I think maybe give in to it and see what you're actually craving. But then also looking back um, onto the the first half of your day before dinner and were you subconsciously, you know, avoiding sugar or um, what rules did you have placed on that first half of the day that have led you to that feeling of you need it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of things that maybe but also just start with one because yeah quite over. <laughs> yeah for sure don't do too much too soon like I said you're, this isn't going to be something that is going to go away overnight yeah um so I had someone say um what's the difference between emotional eating and binge eating which I think is a fantastic question and something mm-hmm. I discuss a lot I think in my opinion we went over those kind of this criteria for what a binge is um look uh, food is meant to elicit emotion like that's not a bad thing like when I'm feeling homesick I tend to crave certain foods that you know I ate as a child um that's a very emotionally driven or when you celebrate a birthday you're gonna have cake that's a very emotionally driven I was gonna say we're brought up to you know it can be a celebration it can be a funeral there's always food there to comfort you Exactly. Um, So food is really emotional, but I think if you, and that's fine, use food as an emotional eating kind of, it's not a bad coping strategy. It's a bad coping strategy when it's the only one that you have. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you are turning to it, maybe more than once a week for three months, um, as the diagnostic criteria suggests, I think that is probably the big key differentiation along with like the guilt and the shame um, that you feel. Um, But again, like an experience of emotional eating isn't bad. I wouldn't say that's like a bad thing. Um, But maybe diet culture has taught us that it's bad. Yeah, definitely. Any others that you want to um oh I'm sorry I just want to choose there's like two two or three and some of them we've covered um why do I continue to eat even when I feel full how do I stop and listen to my body that's very good question a very good question um so it's very difficult to say again it could be as a result of you might have under eaten in the day and I see a lot of this in clinic that 
you undereat in the day, which leads to overeating in the evening. And subconsciously, you might be thinking, oh, you know, I haven't eaten that much today so I can get away with eating a bit more. Or your body body might just be saying you haven't eaten enough. So, yeah, let's just keep going. Or it could also be that you're even though you're physically full, you might not be satisfied, which is also like a completely different thing. So, yeah, you can fill up on you know, lettuce and cucumbers all you want. Like there's a lot of roughage in that. That'll make that'll make you feel quite full. I wanted yeah, I was gonna say I'm so glad you brought this up. There's I have clients who will eat this huge great big salad in excess, you know, so much healthy food. I had the air quotes going there. But if your body's <laughs> air quotes <laughs> if your body's there's a very big difference between being feeling full and satisfied. Yeah. And you can feel full on, like you said, vegetables and salad, but you're not satisfied. You haven't eaten enough of the right kind of nutrients or macronutrients to satisfy you. So you're going to keep seeking that. Your body's going to keep asking for it. And it might feel frustrating because you're like, I'm so full. But your body's like, wait, we haven't got everything we need yet. (laughs) Or you ever like, um, just like, sometimes this happens where you're craving something but you don't like have it on hand so you just eat whatever you have on hand and you're like oh well I'm still like that I know that's the most annoying thing (laughs) yeah sometimes I think that's one of the downfalls when like you meal prep or um you know batch cook because sometimes you're like well I have this meal even though I'm not craving it and then you still eat and you're like oh I still wanted that you know lasagna or whatever it was in your head I don't know why I just chose that I've never don't really like lasagna (laughs) Um, that was the most random thing. <laughs> Rather like any other pasta dish, but lasagna. So that was weird that I said that. Um, but it, it it's true that, you know, if your mind is craving something, there's probably a reason, like maybe, you know, for whatever reason that you really want that. And then when you don't listen to that, often you can have that point of dissatisfaction, even if you eat like a well-balanced meal. Um, and you know, you had all your healthy fats and protein to keep you full. You could still be unsatisfied, but for someone who's in the thick of diet culture, that can be, Oh my God, well, I'm still so hungry. Why is my body, you know, why can't I trust my body? You know, it's still hungry, even though I just said it. And then you have this real internal conflict and it's really damaging to your relationship with food because you start to blame the food. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would just say just you know, honor your cravings and make sure that your food is satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I, everything else I think I've asked. Uh, okay. going to be a repetition of the things we spoke about. One more. Um, can you try and lose weight successfully while struggling with binge eating? What do you think? I'm interested to hear from an intuitive eating approach. Um, I, if someone came to me and basically said that that they wanted to lose weight but they're struggling with binge eating I would say can we scrap the weight loss goal at the moment and solely focus on your relationship with food and your behaviors around food and what is making you unhappy mm-hmm. I agree yeah because oh keep going sorry I was just gonna say if you if you're striving towards a weight loss goal and the thing that's again with the air quotes motivating you is weight loss I just I personally think it's a recipe for disaster because if your food decisions are driven by again that weight loss goal 
you're probably going to end up binging yeah because subconsciously you'll be restricting to try and achieve weight loss and again we know that that leads to binges yeah I think for me it's so evident that a weight loss goal is synonymous with restriction and it's so unconscious I think I don't think anyone goes into you know I want to lose weight and healthy and keep it off and they're they always come from a place so I don't want to restrict but I think I think actually when you do have a certain number oriented goal subconsciously you're gonna restrict and you're gonna choose oh I, I'm not gonna have that dessert because I have a weight loss goal or I'm not mm-hmm. gonna have because I have weight loss goal um there's always going to be an underlying restriction even if you're not cognizant of it so I actually think that you know like you said scrapping the weight loss goal but also if we can treat the binges and decrease the frequency you might actually lose weight along the process if you have weight to lose because you know you're not getting those you know you're not having the binges which are a lot of food and that can lead to gaining weight so if you decrease the binges and improve your relationship with food will your weight naturally come to your natural set point um and you'll feel a lot better yeah like yeah like you said it might be a byproduct of the journey you're on however I again personally think that you're never going to live a happy and fulfilled life if you're constantly putting that pressure on yourself to lose weight yeah I agree I think as long as that's in your mind you'll never be able to fully relax and enjoy certain situations because on in the back of your mind you're always going to be thinking about it yeah for sure I think that was a good one to end on yes definitely I know we spoke about so much in this episode um it's actually quite long I'm just looking at the time I know (laughs) But it just shows, like, I could do a whole another episode on this. And I, I feel like we say that a lot about the the podcast that we record. They're quite loaded information-wise, aren't they? Yeah, which is good because I think people can find value in them, um, you know, because everyone's so unique. So hopefully if we cover as much as we can, everyone will find some sort of helpful information in them. Yes, definitely. Well, as always, please let us know if you have any other questions. Um or you want us to do a part two or anything, you can always write into forhewellness at gmail.com. We'll keep all kind of submissions completely anonymous. Um, yeah. And happy to chat about them on the podcast. Definitely. And we will put some helpful resources in the show notes as well. If anyone is struggling um, and needs to kind of, I don't know, some sort of um, resource as a first point of call. And yeah, if you think this will help anyone you know, please do pass it on. We want to reach as many people as possible. And yeah, we really appreciate your guys' support. Yes. And as always, please rate, review and subscribe um, and follow us on Instagram at 14 Wellness. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks, guys. Bye.